0: Welcome to JPHMP Direct Talk, a podcast series that brings you conversations that bridge the gap between research and practice. Today, Dr. Golzer Shaw, Christy Waterfield, and Noble Messeru speak about the role of data in promoting diversity and inclusion in public health institutions of higher education. I'm honored to welcome Dr. Noble Maseru, PhD, MPH, in this episode of the podcast blog series featuring health informatics innovations and applications. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Maseru.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure.
0: My paths crossed first time with Dr. Maseru roughly a decade ago when I was working at NECHO, the National Association of County and City Health Officials as the lead research scientist and Dr. Maseru made a presentation at NHO annual meeting. Since then, I have been a big fan of his work on issues concerning health inequities. Dr. Maseru is currently serving as the Director, Center for Health Equity, and Associate Dean for Diversity and Inclusion at University of Pittsburgh Graduate School of Public Health. Prior to this current position, Dr. Maseru served as the Health Commissioner of Cincinnati Health Department, where he led more than 400 employees with an annual budget of over $40 million. His positions prior to that were no less. Health Officer at City of Detroit, Georgia State Director of Primary Care Planning and Evaluation, Founding Director of Morehouse School of Medicine's Master of Public Health Program. Our topic today is role of information systems and data to promote diversity and inclusion in public health institutions of higher learning. So we have two major questions. I will get started with our first and Dr. Christy Waterfield uh, my co-author for this blog will ask the second. So, Dr. Maseru, please briefly describe the approaches you have used at your current institution to foster diversity and inclusion for things such as admissions, faculty recruitment, faculty training, and other aspects. OK,
1: thank you. First off, what we decided to do is is establish a baseline as to what is the current status uh, situation here at, at Pitt Public Health, both in terms of the students as well as, as faculty. So we had to make a, a decision as to what would be our focus in terms of the the populations that we wanted to address. And so we decided that we would identified two populations which we call historically underrepresented groups, and those populations in terms of race and ethnicity was the Latina X population and the African American population. We also wanted to take into consideration questions around geography gender, in addition to the race and ethnicity. So we look back more than four years. We took four years and did an analysis of what the admission and the enrollment history is or has been at Pitt Public Health. So we did that. Uh, additionally, in terms of faculty, we looked at what opportunities currently exist to increase faculty at Pitt Public Health. And one of the mechanisms that we determine would be a pathway for greater numeric inclusion of the two populations and that would be with the diversity supplement for NIH, the National Institutes of Health have a diversity supplement. So we, we went back again four years and looked at what the actual process or practice has been Around the diversity supplements participation of faculty, and I can get I can go into detail about both of those findings, the study that we did or the review that we did in terms of admissions and uh, enrollment, and secondly, what our findings were in terms of NIH and our subsequent uh, recommendations for both the diversity supplement and for enrollment and admission. Usually there is a, ch- a challenge, or at least a, the initial question is looking at identifying what baseline numbers are. And so we look that's what those two efforts were in terms of the two reviews was to uh, uh, determine what our baseline numbers were, and then also come up with recommendations for recruitment, adjustments in admission, and also making sure that that was in alignment with what the Dean's mission was uh, here at the School of Public Health as well as the Chancellor's uh, mission for diversity and inclusion at the uh, University
0: Y. So please indicate the data that were used in these activities to highlight the role of data in these activities. From a
1: faculty perspective, Currently, there are 171 faculty at Pitt Public Health, and the representation for the African American population is was 6.4 percent. The white population was 66 percent, and for the Hispanic population was 4 percent, 4.1 percent. So the total aggregate percent for Hispanic, Latinx, and the African-American population was ten, roughly 10.5%. And so what we decided to do was we identified the baseline that we thought would be a reasonable target for the faculty, and we decided on 14% for the, the total population for African-Americans And for the uh, Hispanic population, we identified uh, roughly 7% would be the population. Currently in the county, Allegheny County, uh, African Americans account for 14% of the population and Hispanic population is less than 2%. So so our targets are, as I stated, roughly 14% for African Americans. Uh, that means that we'd have to in- increase it from our current 6.4 to 14 percent, and for the Hispanic population, increase it from the 4.1 um, percent to 6 percent. So, just as a uh, a jumpstart, looking at what we found out for the diversity supplements for NIH, we put together a. A group of uh, four other faculty persons and we had a task force that examined what had taken place and what we discovered over the four years not including this last academic year of 1819, 19 is that there were 88 applicant applications acquired for the NIH grant and of those 88 applicants 12 applied for diversity supplements and of the 12 Applications for diversity supplements eight was accepted. Out of that, we presented our findings to the to the dean, and we identified recommendations. And those recommendations, which have now been put in place for this academic year of 1819, is that we would have a a committee or a group surveillance that whenever a, a scholar applied for NIH grant and was approved, we would ask that scholar, did you apply for a diversity supplement? And if they did, fine. If they did not, then we would ask for an explanation as to why that has not taken place. Well, so far for this academic year, there have been five NIH grants submitted and four of those five have applied and received uh, diversity supplements. So what that does, Dr. Shaw, is more or less accelerate the presence of, of uh, scholars who are of African or Hispanic descent, so that's that's a good thing. Uh, the other part that we're doing in terms of increasing our, um, our presence is to more or less provide some additional scholarships for postdocs with the objective of having a pipeline with those four uh, postdocs to eventually become faculty persons, as well as working with the university-wide, the chancellor's office, to increase faculty, where there's a work in progress right now with the provost, who is also looking at post-baccalaureate fellows, and with the post-baccalaureate fellows having a developmental kind of pipeline for greater inclusion for the School of Public Health. So that's on the faculty side.
0: What data do you use to assess, you know, admissions diversity among students? Do you have that in place?
1: Oh yes, definitely. We completed a 47 page review of enrollment and admission for the School of Public Health. We have not yet released that document because we will make some determinations on the validity of some subsets uh, in terms of the statistical validity of, of some subsets, but generally their overall finding are valid. And so, as I stated, we reviewed four years of both the um, admissions and enrollment, mm-hmm. and what that entails is more or less, We looked at the applicants that applied to the school and the number that were accepted to the school as well as those that were accepted but declined and then also those that declined to come into the school, whether or not they uh, subsequently applied for other schools. So that's one dream. We looked at those applicants that applied and were rejected by the school, and also those that were rejected were they subsequently accepted to another school. That's the the gist of our analysis, that we did this analysis at the departmental level as well. So we looked at the historically underrepresented groups, uh, specifically Hispanic, Latinx, and African-Americans, and we broke it down also by gender and also by department. What we found was that there was a differentiation in terms of the female applicants that applied was roughly 72% female versus 28%, and we also looked at the the acceptance rate for the historically underrepresented groups was 33% versus 44% for the overall population and uh, the decline rate was substantially higher. So when we say decline keep in mind we're talking about an applicant that was accepted by the program but they elected not to come, okay. So the acceptance rate varied by departments as low as 60 percent to as high as 80 percent. So if we have an underrepresentation of historically underrepresented groups, and at the same time, we have a decline rate in those respective groups of 60 to 80%, then obviously we want to determine why is that the case? And there's so much data here. That's why I'm looking at the overall numeric, but we did the acceptance rates, as I said, by department, and we also looked at it by geography meaning our, our peer schools, such as Penn State and Ohio State and other schools, we looked at our peer schools and looked at their acceptance rate and compared those rates for, with our rates to determine if there is a difference in what our acceptance and decline rates are versus theirs. And, of course, we were able to acquire this information through the Association of Schools and Public Health Programs. So, ASPPH was instrumental in our ability to acquire this information. Sure. And
0: documentation. Great. I know you have to go to a meeting, and uh, let's mm-hmm. move to the next question. Dr. Christy Waterfield has the question. Um, good afternoon. Are there some quick lessons that you would want to share with respect to the role of data in promoting diversity and inclusion?
1: Uh, yeah, most definitely. I would say that we certainly want to look, take a, have a a closer examination of the rejected applicants that were admitted to other schools. So we will be following up and having a conversation and try to follow up and get some explanation as to why that's taken place. And also, I would say that there should be, of what we're trying to determine is, what is an acceptable range for rejected applicants coming here? So what's an acceptable range of rejection? That has not been determined. And also the same thing in terms of declines. We definitely want to do a, a deeper dive on, on those that decline because a 60 to 80% decline rate is extremely alarming. So we want to do a deep dive on that. And also in terms of recruiting historically underrepresented groups for Pennsylvania and Allegheny County. There was a, a marked differentiation between our mainstream versus the historically underrepresented groups department-wide as well as school-wide. And also we want to utilize historically underrepresented group uh, male students in our recruiting efforts and in our admissions efforts. So the HUG males were rejected at a higher rate. They were rejected at a higher rate, they applied at lower rates, and they were declined at higher rates. So we want to take a deeper dive in that, but also utilize our, our male uh, historically underrepresented groups in, in doing recruiting. And I would say, you know, there's good news that last year we had our admissions percentage was roughly 80% compared to 81% for the uh, overall, so the hook acceptance rate. For 2017, 2018, for the master's students, was 81.9% compared to 85.3% for the overall. Now, what that means is numerically, there were 451 mainstream students accepted and 86 students of the HUGS accepted. So when we, just to give you some sense in terms of when we're talking about 81.9%, That numeric is 86 compared to the 451 for the mainstream. There's also a good news that we have is that uh, for our historically underrepresented groups, for those students that applied in the dual degree program for MD, MPH, we had consistently for those four years, we had an 80% plus acceptance rate, which was parity for the mainstream that's a good thing. So we want to find out what is the MD, MPH recruitment and what they're doing, uh, if we can uh, replicate that or utilize or tease out the successes that they're having there with our overall admission program.
0: So thank you so much, Dr. Masaru, for this and for your leadership in highlighting issues surrounding health inequity and for promoting health equity through your prior work in public health practice and current work in academia.
1: You're more than welcome, and I appreciate the invitation. But as we sign off, I also wish to not ignore the fact that in our pipeline, at least the consideration and sensitivity to the pipeline, that we are reaching out to our historically black college universities as well as our local community colleges and developing pipelines in terms of the high schools as well. So I, I didn't want sure. to ignore that particular dimension of what we'll be doing. But thanks so much, and if anyone wishes to contact us or get our full report once we release it, Dr. Shaw, I'm sure you can provide that information on, a, on your uh, podcast
0: website. Okay? Sure, sure we can. Thank you so much. This feature is brought to you by JPHMP Direct, the companion site of the Journal of Public Health Management and Practice. To learn more about the research presented in this talk, join us online at www.jphmpdirect.com.